which is the equivalent of altering their genetic structure. To correct a flaw. You can't call it a flaw. This is the way they were designed. I'm trying to save them from extinction. Unfortunately, extinction is often the natural end of evolution. So you're just willing to let their entire society die off? We don't know that's going to happen. If they're adaptable, as you say, and capable of educating themselves, they might very well learn to build a power module themselves someday. Someday could be too late. There are only a few hundred of them left. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis. And I'm Thad Haight. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 13, Prototype. Yeah, it's a rough draft, but yes. It originally aired on the 15th of January, 1996, and was directed by... It was directed by a little-known guy named Jonathan Frakes. Oh, that same joke you did the last time he directed one of these episodes. No, I did a different joke there. That... <laughs> directed by a little-known guy named Jonathan Frakes... It's not the same. Anyway, <laughs> it was written by Nicholas Correa, uh, or Correa. Uh, he uh, did three episodes of Star Trek this season, two DS9 and one Voyager. Uh, he's been a writer and producer for many shows in the 80s and the 90s, most notably The Incredible Hulk and Walker, Texas Ranger. Cool. There was also an uncredited rewrite by Kenneth Biller. Okay. Our synopsis from TV Guide. When Torres reactivates a robot found floating in space, it demands she construct more of its kind and takes Voyager hostage when she declines. Takes Voyager hostage? Yep. I don't remember that. Me neither. Memory Alpha says, A sentient robot enlists Torres' help to make it possible for it to construct new members of its race. I mean... That's also kind of wrong. It doesn't enlist her help. No, it drafts her. Yeah. And, certainly speaking, like, Torres doesn't decline doing it until the very end of the episode when she realizes what she hath wrought. Yes. Janeway declined. But yeah, Voyager was never held hostage. Not really. No, I, I, I'm sure that if they had limped away from the... I don't know if they were gave, like, a name of the ship. But, you know, the ship of the automated units. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that if Voyager had limped away, the automated units would not have followed. I don't think they would have, no. They had what they wanted. I think they just called it the Prylor vessel. Yeah, I think you're right. Or Prylar. Prylar, I think it was... Anyway. So, before we, like, really launch into it, one thing that is interesting, and I don't... I I feel like everything's wrong. (laughs) The guy who, at the very least, like, it says that Rick Worthy was Unit 3947. Yes, and he was also the prototype. Okay, cool. So Rick Worthy is one of the actors on Man in the High Castle. He plays Lim Washington. And Rick Worthy is, he has one of those voices. I don't know who that is. He was the, he was the, the diner owner. In the Badlands, or whatever okay. it's called, the neutral yeah, zone. Yeah, 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 now I know who you mean. Yeah. yeah. Him. That's the robot? He's not the robot. He doesn't sound anything at all like the robot. Or rather, the robot doesn't you sound know, like him. You know, people can make their voice sound different, right? Like, a, Yeah, but why are you hiring Rick, Rick Worthy, who has this, like, super distinctive voice, if you're going to make him change his voice? Just, like, I don't know, like, find some kid on the street. I don't care. Why did... DS9 hire Wallace Shawn to play the Grand Negus and make him speak in an even higher-pitched voice. 
That is a good question. It's the same thing. I mean, but you can still kind of tell it was Wallace Shawn. Yes, you totally can. But <laughs> like on my second watch through of this, after I realized that that allegedly Rick Worthy was in the episode, <laughs> I still couldn't hear it. Mm. Okay. So anyway, so our episode opens with Rick Worthy floating in space. I thought that was a really cool opening. I thought it was pretty cool as well, and I wondered how well it would have played out on like old timey televisions. Because, mm. like, on, you know, if you watch the DVD rip or on Netflix or wherever you're getting it in higher quality. Or actually watch the DVD. Right, yes. which is, I mean, I, like, slightly better than broadcast quality, but the bigger thing is that you're watching on, like, a higher quality display. Yeah. Like, you can kind of tell that it, it, it looks even more pixelated and mm-hmm. whatnot, like the star field and Voyager oh, yeah. flies in, but I have to wonder, like, how well that showed up on older televisions. It probably showed up fairly well if you had a reasonably large TV and you had a good signal to begin with. Like, if you had cable or a really good uh, antenna signal. Uh, I can say, personally, what I would have watched this on, on UPN, on a TV that was older, on a 13-inch TV older than I am over an antenna connection that was okay... I probably, other than the fact that I would, I would obviously would have noticed it was black and white. I don't think I would have noticed the quality difference. Fair enough. Well, speaking of watching it on a little television, mm-hmm. do you remember anything from this episode? Uh, the basic idea, yeah. Nothing. Nothing here. I got not even a little bit. Okay. Yeah. We're sticking with our usual thing. You remember, I don't. One of these <laughs> days, it'll be reversed and it'll be glorious. There have been a couple that I haven't remembered. Yeah, but I don't think I remember them very well either. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> but you've seen every episode of Voyager. I have seen every episode of Voyager. So Rick Worthy is floating in space. Mm-hmm. And that I'm just going to call him that. We're, you know, I'm just going to I'm not going to use unit 3947. You can call him 39. He doesn't like that. Mm. I mean, if he likes things, they they beam him onto the ship and he has enough power to be recording what's happening. Janeway, Bellana, and Tuvok are talking about the situation. Tuvok is in favor of just let the battery die, and then we have a higher chance of knowing that it's safe, and then we can poke around at it, and then if you want to turn it back on, you can. is making the argument that, well, we don't know if we can turn it back on, and Janeway backs her. Yeah, because they are exploring. Thank you, Janeway, for reminding us that. Mm-hmm. Not that we needed it, since every other episode is some let's-check-out-this-planet tangent happening. It does happen a lot. Yeah. So thinking about Tuvok's concern about security, I have to wonder why, when we get later in the episode and Bellana and Kim are running their heads up against this problem and can't really get anywhere with it, and then they just wander away and leave the robot in engineering yeah why isn't there a security detail good question especially now that they've like given it more juice also why didn't they beam it straight into engineering in the first place they knew they would have scanned it and known that it was some sort of robot speaking of some sort of (laughs) there were a lot of those i counted four i think i have three written down uh i've got the some kind of superconductive plasma Oh, no, I do have four. Some type of chrono- chrono- 
chromodynamic or yes, it was chromo. I didn't count. I didn't module. count the some type. I only did some oh, kind. Some kind of quantum resonance charges. Mm-hmm. Some kind of robotic war. And some kind of programming center. Ah. So speaking of the some kind of superconductive plasma. Yes. When they're talking about that, Harry suggests hooking it up to the EPS, and Dad, Balana says, no, that won't work, because it uses some kind of superconductive plasma. Mm-hmm. EPS stands for electroplasma system. Wouldn't that also be some kind of superconductive plasma? I don't know. Is it superconductive? Or is it just regular old conductive? Ooh. Good point. I don't know. I didn't even know what EPS stood for. I thought the P stood for power. Mm. I thought the P stood for plasma. I wasn't sure about the others, so I looked it up because I'm like, wait a second. Chromodynamic? Is that a one and done? I think so, yeah. Nice. This might be the only tripolymer plasma as well. Probably, yeah. I didn't even. That one, that one came and went so quickly, I didn't even catch it. <laughs> it is the only tripolymer plasma. Okay. So, yeah, so Bolana and Kim are working on the, on the robot, trying to get it working. They can't quite figure it out at one point it starts gibbering a little bit but doesn't lead to anything so then eventually kim goes to bed and torres does not correct she heads off she works a little bit longer she heads off to the mess hall to drink two pots of well we don't see it but i bet it's like the goopy coffee coffee Mm, better than coffee substitute (laughs) so do all jabalian foods come in Numbers of seven. Yes. Because wasn't the Jabalian fudge also a I seven? I think it was a seven-layer fudge yeah. cake, yeah. Or, like, seven different kinds of Jabalian fudge or something like that. Something like that, yeah. I did like the Leo Root yes. gag. That was you know, good. I like that this is... I, I wonder how long this is going to last as a running gag. <laughs> like, if I go and rewatch um, Endgame... Am I going to, like, catch someone saying, oh, man, these canapes are so much better without Leola Root at the little cocktail party at the end? <laughs> that would be funny. I don't know what a canapé is, but I bet it doesn't need to have any Leola Root in it. I know that a canapé is a kind of food. Yeah, it's like an... I, <laughs> and I'm betting it's it's at cocktail parties. Yeah, I think it, it is the sort of thing that you find at a cocktail party. I'm not entirely sure what it is. I think it's like something that's stuffed with things, though. Maybe. I bet it's I bet it's like on the same table as the crudite. Well, I know what crudite are. And like little mini quiches. A canapé is a small piece of bread or pastry with a savory topping. Often serves at drinks at a, with drinks at a reception or formal party. There you go. So not stuffed, but, you know, close. Yes. So anyway. So it's like fancy cheese and crackers. Yeah. So, Bolana decides, yeah, okay, I guess I'll go to bed. And then promptly gets out of bed because she's decided now she's going to talk to the doctor about the problem. I shouldn't have to remind you, I'm a doctor. Not an engineer. Mm. The doctor whom apparently she doesn't consider sentient. No, or maybe she doesn't consider him a machine? The official words were artificial life form. Oh, then yeah, no, she doesn't consider the doctor sentient. Yeah. It's interesting. That's what I thought. I mean, I'm glad that Data got a name drop and all. Yeah, that was cool. Which is like, which is a more direct comparison. Oh, absolutely. But the Doctor but. is an artificial life form. Yes. And I would feel like at this point in the show, it's pretty obvious that he's sentient. Yeah, that's complicated. Huh. He's also not the first hologram to achieve sentience. To have it on TNG. Yeah, 
Moriarty. Right. But anyway, that's right. we're getting ahead of the shelves a little bit there. Yeah. We do uh we do find out that it is apparently not a Starfleet dictate that women wear satin PJs. <laughs> Cuz she's just in like, I don't know, comfy flannel stuff or something. And Voyager doesn't follow the rule that some of the other shows have that Starfleet crew members wear blue PJs. Yeah, no, so far we've largely seen red PJs. Yeah. Which shades thereof. I guess is what we see if we don't see blue. Because in Discovery they had red PJs as well. Hmm. Look at some yellow. But I on TNG they were definitely blue. And Enterprise they also wore blue PJs and blue underwear. It was just blue all the way down on Enterprise. It was. Even the slime stuff that they rubbed on each other as like a decon thing in the blue lights was kind of blue. Was it blue, though, or did it just look that way because it was in the blue lights? Da-ba-dee-da-ba-da. Mm. Nice. So the doctor helps Spilana with her with her problem. She implements this fix involving multiple anodyne capacitors. Yes. The technobabble was strong this episode. <laughs> so strong. <laughs> now, like, anodyne sounded vaguely familiar and, and wanting yeah, that's a to... Yeah, but and I wanted to double check it so as to avoid a potential tellurium tellurium mm-hmm. problem as we had last week. Uh, yes, it is a real word. It's largely outdated uh, and has and was more or less replaced by terms like analgesic and painkiller. So, and it it means like buffer, okay, or blocker, and so that makes sense in this case. It's sort of yeah, like correct usage. It's. Like I, I kind of wish that the first usage of it had come from the doctor in talking about using interspecies blood transfusions. Mm. If he had used the term anodyne to begin with, and then perhaps Blana could have said something like, "So I rigged up a series of capacitors as some kind of anodyne to reduce the blah 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 to the turkadurk." But no, <laughs> that didn't happen. It did not. I mean. The Doctor definitely got more screen time than Kess did this episode. Well... Neither of whom got very much. Yeah. There was... Tom Paris didn't get a lot either this episode. I got a thing about what amount of screen time Tom Paris did get, and we'll get to that when we get to that. (laughs) But did you notice that they're talking about flow percentages again? Like when they're trying to resurrect the robot with the anodyne capacitors? I missed that, but of course they are. Yeah, I... (sighs) Still with the flow percentages. Like, earlier in the episode where they're talking about, you know, to, like, do 5% output for two seconds, like, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, saying, like, you know, like, only give it 5% of the capacity, but, like, saying, like, give it 20% of the flow, like, what? Who knows? It just, it, it, it feels like we're, like, weird phraseology is all. Is that phraseology or is it just phraseology? I like to call it phraseology. I feel feel like that's probably wrong well that's my preferred phraseology of it (laughs) so there the robot wakes up we find out he is unit 3947 aka rick worthy Hmm. obviously 47 i didn't even notice it like that 47 went right over my head but yeah obviously oh you're serious i am serious yeah i did not even I yeah, because you're usually the one to catch it. They're like, hey, 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 did you hear that person in the background whisper 47 to his friend? 
Yeah, no, I guess it was just so obvious that it just, like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even... Well, partly probably because he always pronounced it 4-7. Mm, yeah. Well, I definitely caught, like, a 4.7 the other week, though, so... Yeah. Anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, he starts more or less interrogating, I mean, like, gently, like, you know, nicely interrogating, but it's basically what it is, like, interviewing, interrogating Bellana as to, like, who she is, what she is, what she did, etc. And this is when he says, you're a builder, Harry. <laughs> nice. No, he says it to Bellana and Harry. Are you a builder? A builder? Well, I, I guess you could say that. And this is when we find out the builders are no more. Right. And that and this is also when three nine four seven makes its first request that Belana build another power unit. And so she's that like, they can you then already build. Have one. Right. And he's like, Well yes. But if I had two, then I could build another robot around it. Daddy two power units. Correct. And now is when we get a really good conversation between Belana and Janeway. Yeah. Uh, about what their role is on all this. Does this violate the Prime Directive, et cetera, et cetera. And it does. I mean, they're providing technology to it. Does it, though, actually? Are they, prov- like, they're just, like, <sighs> it's like... That's a tough one. So... Like, we'll, we'll stick with the power unit idea. Like, mm-hmm. let's say that you had a civilization that used batteries for everything. Like, everything, everything used batteries. But for whatever reason, like, the factory that made all the batteries couldn't make them anymore. Like, it wasn't like a resource scarcity. Like, they, like, forgot the blueprints. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Would it be in violation of the Prime Directive to come along and help, like, and, like, teach them how to make batteries again? See, so we didn't really talk about this with the Kazon. But, technically speaking, I'm not even sure giving the Kazon replicators and transporters would be violating the Prime Directive. I could certainly understand the argument not to do it. But, I don't think the Prime Directive applies in that instance. Because, they have warp technology so the prime directive is not interfering in other cultures Mm -hmm. and it's also not providing any technological or assistance or even letting yourself be known to people who don't have warp but beyond that i don't believe the prime directive actually says no we can't provide technical assistance to other uh, other people that's beyond their existing technical expertise if they already have warp drive then if they have warp drive, they can join. They'd be allowed to join the Federation in the Alpha Quadrant. So, I'm not sure. I don't think this would it would actually violate the Prime Directive. Huh. That is odd. Now, she certainly wouldn't be able to help them fight the other robots. Right, which we don't even know about yet. Yes, but if they did know about that, would violate the Prime Directive. And giving them power units so that they could better fight the other robots, that would be, you're saying that would be a violation of the Prime Directive, because it'd be akin to arming them. Right, but we didn't know about that yet. Right, no, of course. Still stuck on the Kazon thing, though. Yeah. Are the Kazon truly a warp society? 
they have warp technology. Even if they didn't come up with it themselves, they have it, so therefore they are. Okay. I'm sure that, yeah, I'm sure this is something that has come up on Star Trek before. It has. Or at least in, I don't know, like half a dozen books or something. No, it, it has come up in Star Trek before. Okay. <laughs> now, obviously, there are plenty of reasons not to give technology to the Kazon. Um, right. But I'm not sure that the, in and of itself, providing technical assistance to these other species that do have warp technology, I don't think would violate the Prime Directive. Right, but I don't see giving transporter and replicator technology whole hog to someone else count like like that and is a little bit beyond technical assistance. All right, sure. You know, technical assistance is helping them, I don't know, improve their warp engines or yeah, maybe right. their shielding systems or sensor technology, like improving their existing technology, like giving them all new tech. That's a whole other thing. Okay. You know, like th- that's like being like hired by the British rail railway system in the 1800s to improve transit times between London and Edinburgh, and instead saying, "Here's our technical assistance. Have a bunch of airplanes." All right. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that. And then also, yeah. No, we don't want to give anything to the Kazon other than like, like a fist. Right. Yeah. Some of our 38 torpedoes. <laughs> Which I thought we were going to expend some this episode, but it turns out no. We will by the end of the season. Oh, no, I'm sure. So, God, where were we? Oh, right. Belana and Janeway are having a philosophical discussion. Yes. And I can certainly see the argument for not wanting to get involved, but I don't... But you can... S- whether or not... Whether it vi- actually violates the Prime Directive, certainly with the knowledge that they have right now, that's iffy. Because I could see... I could certainly see an argument for it not violating the Prime Directive. Yeah, I I think I side with Janeway and her argument that at the end of the day, even though they're sentient, they were still machines designed and built by someone else. And we can't... And if this is a problem that they haven't cracked, which also, like, we don't even get into that at all. Like, like 3947 never tells us we have tried many times and failed, or there's some sort of problem we can't get around because then that would fall under your technical assistance argument, mm-hmm. which is that they're trying to solve this problem and they just need someone with like a different approach to help them solve it. In which case, I don't think that Janeway would have quite a strong an argument against, mm. but the way the problem is posed to her and to us in the, at that point in the episode is there's this thing we want in, you know, and we can't do it ourselves. Give it to us. And we never find, like, at this point, we haven't found out yet that they've tried a couple of times and they can't pull it off. And we haven't found out yet the reason why they can't. Yeah. Okay. Still not sure. So, based on the information we have at the time, I'm siding with Janeway that this is, if this is a problem that they're tackling and they haven't told us that it is, then maybe they'll solve it on their own eventually. And it's such a big difference for them that it's probably best if... Starfleet didn't get involved. Okay. And and yes, not getting involved is the prime directive, but it's just... I feel like in this case, if they had helped, they would not be, you know, blatantly violating the prime directive. Okay. I can see that argument. So now we're in a transporter room. I assume it's number two. It's always number two. 
this is when Blana is telling Rickworthy that Janeway has put her foot down, and although Blana wants to help, Janeway says no, and Blana has to do what the captain says. Yeah. They've made contact with the Praelor, yeah? Yeah, that sounds right. right. Yeah. They make contact with the Praelor ship, and they'll be there in a little bit. They talk with them for a minute, and they're about to beam 3947 back to them. When he takes Bolana, not Voyager, hostage. <laughs> Bolana is Voyager, don't you know? I I didn't. When did that happen? <laughs> is this like the end of Firefly when River says she's the ship? Is Bolana the ship? Sure, why not? Okay. It's Praelor, by the way. Ah. Did you notice Johnny Five's arm? In the robot lab? I did not, but Memory Alpha told me about it. Oh, by the way, uh, 1,314,807 hours is a little more than 150 years. I know. Okay. I did that math, too. I didn't. Memory Alpha did. (laughs) If Memory Alpha Alpha could actually talk and not just use you as its mouthpiece, I I should have it co-host this episode. (laughs) It would be very very dry. It would give you a whole bunch of information that is completely useless to the episode. Mm, more I guess than that would be. I, more I than that I would do. Be a downgrade. That would definitely be a downgrade. Yeah, more information, more useless yeah. information than I provide. <laughs> I filter it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> With your anodyne capacitors. Right. Exactly. Voyager opens fire on the Praelor ship, hoping to weaken the shields enough to beam Bellana out. Not so much, though. No, 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 not so much. They they take a whooping. Mm. This is when we find out that the Praelor have better weapons, but Voyager has better engines. Yes. Yeah. Unit 6263, or maybe it's 6463. I don't know. The, the unit in charge. Whatever. Absolute unit. Look at the size of that lad. He tells us that they could totally blow Voyager out of the sky. Or, Bolana could build the power unit. So Bolana says she's going to build the power unit. Yeah. Which, when Janeway hears this, she's, like, really irked. A little bit. Which makes the end of the episode odd. Slightly. That said, Janeway would probably have done the exact same thing in Bolana's situation. Yeah, to save the ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Janeway maybe also would have been working on some sort of, like, escape plan yeah. on this side. And we don't necessarily see Bolana not doing that, but still, like, in order to save the ship, Janeway totally would have done it. Yeah. She absolutely would. But, yeah. she's annoyed because, you know, she and Bolana had talked about this and, you know, had come to the conclusion that they weren't going to do that. So that's why she's annoyed. Yeah, I feel like it would make more sense if, if Janeway was the one who had been taken hostage and Bolana was still on the ship and somehow in a position to be calling the shots for the ship. And Janeway would have been irked that Bolana had decided to acquiesce just to save Janeway's life. Mmm. Yes. But being irked that Bolana opted to try to do this to save the life of everyone on the ship, like that just felt weird and out of character. I feel like maybe it's because she didn't feel like it was Bolana's call. Ooh. And that would be in character. Right. Okay, I had not considered that angle. Hmm. In this and we get a little conversation between 3947 and the absolute unit 
And 3947 tells us... According to my observations, the humanoid is operating at optimal efficiency. Mm-hmm. Which I just thought was kind of a funny line. A little bit. Like, not like, haha funny, but you know, a little. Did you catch Flux Capacitance? I did catch the Flux Capacitance. I'm not entirely sure what Doc Brown has to do with all this, but... <laughs> That's what the power units are. They're Mr. Fusions. Right? <laughs> so, the power units. Mm-hmm. They apparently have product keys. Yeah. Which we don't find out the real reason for until the very end. Right. And it just... Yeah, it was like a weird thing that was like, oh, well, apparently each of them have a unique power signature that only works... Like, if they're able to replace everything else within them... Then they should be able to key those signatures, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, like, what's the part that the power unit plugs into... Can that not be replaced? Like where? Like where does that stack end? Mm. What this? Uh, what this makes me think of, uh, from personal experience, is the original Xbox with the hard drive. Yeah, with the locked hard drive. Right. I mean, what this? What this makes me think of from personal experience is every Windows install ever. Okay. Yes, but <laughs> no, because it, it still works without the. But anyway. <laughs> the, the locked hard like the locked xbox hard drive is a little more apt because like obviously it would like it would only work on an xbox anyway and why can't i take it from xbox you know a to xbox b well you can if you if you start the xbox up and then unplug the drive and plug it into a computer that you've paused partway through the bios and yes also by the way the pause button on keyboards old keyboards actually <laughs> does something <laughs> The only time in my entire life I've ever actually used that key. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting project. That was. And 99.999% of our listeners have no idea what we're talking about right now. No. But hey, for those like couple out there that have also soft-modded an Xbox, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> So getting back to the episode. Right. <laughs> let's talk about Paris and Chakotay. Okay, let's talk about Paris and Chakotay. Did they do anything this episode? I'm about to tell you what they did. Okay. Voyager is crippled. And we have a couple of different scenes where they're talking about how damaged and crippled they are and how long it's going to take to fix, but they're also working on a way to rescue Bellana. Mm-hmm. And they have this crazy scheme that if they can get get close enough to the robot shields then maybe they could do a thing with the stuff and paris pipes it uh chimes in to say you know it'd be even easier if we used a shuttle to do it well yeah but the shuttle's shields are so much weaker than voyager's shields and voyager's shields took a beating so you would die he's like no no, no i can totally do it well let's give you a diversion no no, no i can do it without the di- without the diversion he's getting like kind of heated about this idea of people helping him mm, well because that's because he's a he's a lone wolf he works alone one man alone exactly <laughs> and then like Dakota has a pretty good line of we would hate to lose another shuttle <laughs> would they this is the first time <laughs> they've cared about this <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, to which uh, January, uh, to which Paris replies your concern is heartwarming and like, there's like a lot of attitude between the two of them, and I can't figure out why. Mm. Like, nothing happened in the last episode that I can recall 
that would explain why there's all this attitude between them or the one before that or any of the last 10 like what is going this is like when tupac and chakotay like had attitude with each other on um state of flux it just just comes out of nowhere like what was left on the cutting room floor or like like cut out yeah this may be a product of the fact that this episode had a last minute rewrite yeah like do you think the tension was like a last minute addition from kenneth biller or do you think that any of the incidents that would have led to the tension were last minute excisions yeah i'm not sure uh the only thing I know uh, that Kenneth Baylor added was uh, he tried to play up Bellana's, um relationship with the prototype. The fact that, I mean, that it, would it explain felt like the, that she had yeah. created it and was its mother. Hmm. Which, I mean, you definitely get in, like, the last minute. Yes, it was literally a last-minute rewrite. Right, but like, I didn't feel that when she actually turned the thing on. She was excited. No. But I didn't get, like, a sense of... Yeah, same. I guess I would also explain the obstetrician line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, Kenneth Biller. Had to go and make it weird. <laughs> I think now is the time that the Kravik? 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 It's either Kravik or Kravik. Yeah. Okay, so definitely like a K or a C. Yeah, it's C-R-A-V-I-C. Oh, okay. I couldn't quite tell if it was Gravik or Kravik. Is all. I can't remember. So it was a soft day for the first yes. syllable? Okay, then it's Kravik. Okay. Anyway, so they show up yeah. and start lighting into the to, into the Praelor. And they look just like the, the Praelor, except they're a different color. Yes. Which is weird. Well, that was deliberate in an attempt to show that they are mostly the same, but also because it was cheaper that way. Well, yeah, definitely cheaper that way. But I feel like we don't need that visual cue that they're mostly the same since they're both robot species. Mm. Who knows? And I'm really confused. Okay, so now is when all the information starts coming out that the Praelor automated units were invented by the Praelor. I don't know if they were specifically invented to fight the Kravik. Or just that, hey, we have all these robots, let's also use them to fight the Kravik. Uh, like, I, I don't know yeah. which came first, the chicken or the egg. I mean, I do actually know which came first. The egg did. But, like, I don't know which came first in this scenario. Right, but something that was very close to a chicken laid that egg. Yeah, yeah, sure. But it wasn't a chicken. Well, no, it was just like 99.9% of a chicken. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so... Like, I don't know if the robots were made to fight the war or if it was, or if they were just enlisted to fight the war, effectively. Mm-hmm. And the Kravik do the same thing, but then at a certain point, the Kravik and the Praelor decide, well, let's just call a truce and also let's decommission all of our robots. Yeah. Now, we only get the Praelor side of the story, which is that when the Praelor decide they're going to decommission their robots, and I can only imagine that the truce would have come with both sides decommissioning. And that was probably a requirement of the truce, sort of like, you know, nuclear arms talks and such. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. Like, And that all makes sense, and it's easy peasy. Mm-hmm. So the Praelor automated units are like, hold on, you want to turn us off, but we are sentient, so therefore you're trying to kill us. Anyone who tries to kill us is the enemy, therefore you're the enemy, so we're going to kill you. And I have to assume that the because we also find that the Kravik builders are terminated, so I have to assume that the Kravik robots went through the same thought process. 
Probably. Why did they then turn around and decide these other robots are enemies again? Because they were programmed to fight them. Then maybe, th- then no, they're not sentient. Hmm. Well, they're like sentient, but they're sentient plus. No, well, no, they're, they're sentient mi- minus. <laughs> right, right, that's what I meant to say. Sentient minus. Minus. <laughs> uh, non-sentient plus. How about that? Okay, yeah. I'll allow it. <laughs> okay, so this is kind of like um, Stargate Atlantis, the replicators. Yeah. Would you say that the replicators in Stargate Atlantis are sentient? Because hmm. Rodney activates that thing that makes them go on to fight the Wraith. Well, that had always been activated. No, it was it was dormant. Yeah, well, he, like, reactivates it or something. Right. Hmm. I think by my own argument, the answer is no. Okay, then. At least you're consistent. Because, like, honestly, I never, like, even given a whole lot of thought to replicator sentience regardless, like, until you ask the question. Hmm. So, and I don't think the show spends a whole lot of time on it. Like, maybe a little bit when they create, um... Whatever her name is. She wanted a name. Oh, one... yeah, yeah. What was her name? It's going to bug me for a while. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But yes, when they created her. Yes. Faith? That might be it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, like, there's like a little bit of thought. Like, you know, the, the show pays a little bit of lip service to sentience with, with that. But no, like, they're, they're machines. They've been programmed. They're able to, like, but they're not able to alter their own programming hmm. they, that that's what they need mckay for every time is to that mckay can come in and alter their programming hmm. like if you're not i can't alter my programming yes you can like you can make the conscious choice to do things differently it might be it hard but you can i can't make a conscious choice to do everything there are certain things that are involuntary you are now breathing manually. Exactly. Like, I don't have a conscious choice to beat my heart. It just happens. I can neither start nor stop that process. Yeah, no, but you can start or stop how you treat other people. And you can start or stop... Uh, we're going to get into, like, weird... We're going to get into a weird philosophy discussion if we keep going down this road. <laughs> yes. Because we're going to start getting into, like, sociopaths. <laughs> right. <laughs> Our sociopath sentient. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <That's> exactly what. <laughs> like and like other questions like are four year olds sentient? <laughs> like, uh, how does one define sentience? <laughs> I don't know. But, that's it, the other but it sure thing. sounds like what I'm saying is able to alter one's own programming. Because <laughs> like elephants are sentient, right? I think we're pretty close to declaring that. I know that. And then we start getting into, like, conversations of, like, personhood, which is not necessarily sentience. But what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is this is a conversation that I'm not sentient enough to have. <laughs> no. No, no. My existing programming prevents me from discussing this further. Yeah. <laughs> I need someone to explain it to me, but that might violate their prime directive. <laughs> <laughs> By the by, I think our sociopath sentient is the title of the episode. I, I tend to agree. <laughs> of course you do. You're programmed as such. <laughs> so-
so when Belana finds all this out and realizes what she has done, <laughs> getting back to the episode, she stabs the prototype in the heart. She makes the sentient choice to <laughs> yes, <laughs> St- stab the prototype in the power unit or heart if you you know want to go that way with it. Yeah, <laughs> same thing. The heart is the power unit of the of a body. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she then conveniently gets beamed out shortly thereafter. Did you notice that? No, which the noise for the fire alarm. Is from StarCraft. I didn't. Did Memory Alpha notice this? Yes. Well, technically, not the fire alarm. The internal calm that he uses for the... When he calls for fire units is the same noise that is used in the Terran campaign briefings in StarCraft. I It sounded like a stock, like, standard noise that I had heard oh, in yeah. other things before. Yeah, yeah, But no, that's what it's from. I haven't played StarCraft in, like... Not, like, original StarCraft. Years? I haven't played that in forever. It's probably been at least 10, 10 or 15 years and now, for me. Wait, I think did, I played it in college. Was StarCraft out in 96? E- yes. Was it? 98. So, so more accurately, StarCraft uses the noise from Prototype. <laughs> yes, or from the same, you know, Foley room as Paramount. <laughs> right. Although I suppose it's possible that someone was a Voyager fan who worked on StarCraft and was like... Or, more accurately, it's from some sort of, like, package of sound effects that... I believe you mean some kind of package of sound effects. Yes. Okay. But yes, someone made the sentient choice to use that in StarCraft. (laughs) Well, the very end of this some kind of episode... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Balana and Janeway are having a conversation again... uh, Janeway has is telling is telling Bond. This is the part that Kenneth Miller wrote. <laughs> yeah, God, I bet. Uh, <laughs> Cass is there for four and a half seconds, which is cool. Yeah, got to get her a little bit on screen so she gets paid. Hey, you know you got to get paid. It's mm. the sentient thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> Jane. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Nothing means anything anymore. <laughs> Janeway and Blana's conversation has this like weird, like, like intentional, like motherhood vibe to it. Yes, and I say weird because neither of them are mothers. Mm. This is true, and like I'm not saying that. Only a mother's allowed to have feelings or anything like that, but like just like the way their conversation is going, it's like Janeway saying, Oh yes. I know that with my own children, like that's like the sort of like tone or character I get mm-hmm. out of what she is saying. Then it doesn't make any sense because Janeway has no children. So She has a regardless dog. of Yeah. But I don't I don't buy in on that whole like dog mom dog like fur baby. Yeah, her dog's a fur baby. I'm not going. <laughs> and and like I said earlier, like the like the the way be uh, the way Bellana reacted when prototype zero 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 one. Were they not planning to make more than like nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine? Yeah, nine nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine is the maximum. I mean, I guess for prototypes that makes sense, but then all the other ones also had four digit. But yeah, then the next so. prototype will be null. Yeah. Or buffer overflow. Unit buffer <laughs> overflow. Yes. 
Uh, but like the yeah, like the what we got out of Bagana when the prototype came online was not as if she had birthed it. It was yeah, she so, was excited and whatnot. But I'm gonna actually read something here from an interview with Roxanne Dawson. So much of prototype was the only way Bolana could deal with her own mothering instincts and creation instincts. At this point in her development, probably the only way that she can confront her feelings and herself is through the creation and adoption of a mechanical being, of a robot, and to be as excited about that as some people are about children or other kinds of creation. Okay, I'm just saying that, like, the reaction she had when the prototype came online, I didn't get that feeling. Okay, well, Roxanne Dawson disagrees with you. Okay, but I mean, I'm also not a mother, so... It's true. Nor am I. And she is, but... I don't know if she was... Yet? I don't know if... Cause, it's not important. Yeah, anyway. And that wraps up the episode. Did you have any final thoughts on it? Uh... No, I think we covered everything. Oh, this is the last episode of Star Trek that Jonathan Frakes will direct until Star Trek Discovery. Oh, wow. Although he will also direct Star Trek First Contact, which will come out later this same year, and Star Trek Insurrection, which will come out three years after this. Who directed Nemesis? Bother. Uh, Stuart Baird. Okay. Anyway. And he knew nothing about Star Trek going in. No kidding. I know, right? Well, then, I would say that about wraps it up for this for this episode. Huh? Uh, join us again next week where we'll be talking about Season 2, Episode 14, Alliances. Mm-hmm. Hopefully with some sentient people. <laughs> and thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find and review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah. Stopping. <laughs>